Listener Production. Brooke Boney and Linda Mariano's Dream Club. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Brooke and Linda's Dream Club. Each week we go into the deli of culture and pick out the tastiest charcuterie of moments for us to devour (laughs) together right now. And this week we've got movie upon movie upon movie upon Mm -hmm. movie to recommend and unpack after the Sydney Film Festival. Plus we have to talk about Taylor Swift's Red Album, in brackets, Taylor's version. I thought you had to just say it in a funny voice. Taylor Swift's Red Album. Taylor's version. Taylor's version. (laughs) Just so you all know, it's me. I'm doing it. (laughs) We're we're, um, celebrating. You can probably hear that in our voices because Britney Spears has had her first official weekend of freedom after her conservatorship was officially terminated. So get ready for some very chaotic Instagram content. I'm so excited for this. You know, we've been following the Britney Spears Chronicle for a long time. She wrote this on Instagram on Monday saying, what an amazing weekend. I felt like I was on cloud nine the whole time. I actually got my first glass of champagne at the most beautiful restaurant I've ever seen last night. Her enthusiasm is so, so just infectious. She says, I'm celebrating my freedom and my birthday for the next two months. I mean, after 13 years, I've waited long enough. It is a sight seeing so many people celebrating my victory. I love my fans so much. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, Brittany. We fought hard for you. <laughs> we, we never did. gave up hope. We, we gave it 110%. Gave um, it's just, it's so heartwarming to see, isn't it? I love it. We I love, love it so a happy much. ending, which is so rare, I feel, in Hollywood. And particularly with these long running stories, they kind of just go down and down, and then you almost get drained by seeing them in the news. But this, finally, the green light for Brittany. Oh, well, let's get into it, Lindy. Dream Club. As you know, Wolfie and I and you love the movies and Brooke and I popped our track pants on over the weekend and we saw (laughs) so many films as part of the Sydney Film Festival. We've got some big takes on some of them. We've got some huge recommendations for you and I think we've got to start by talking about the film that was the closing night for the film festival, Wes Anderson's latest. It's called The French Dispatch and if you know Wes Anderson, he's the guy that's behind every film that is so incredibly stylized and detailed, like every shot is a tapestry of visuals, but he's the guy that's behind Fantastic Mr. Fox, Royal Tenenbaums, The Life Aquatic, Rushmore, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Darjeeling Limited, the list goes on. He has brought on an insane ensemble cast for this new film. I can't even rattle off all of the names, but to give you a taste, there's Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton, Adrian Brody, Owen Wilson, Elizabeth Moss, uh, Benicio Del Toro, Leia Seydoux, who, shout out, her performance as a prison guard is brilliant and the list goes on. Well, you forgot the main one. Oh, my God. How could I forget the jawline? Of Francis McDormand. (laughs) (laughs) Timothy Chalamet. It was so hyped. He's on the movie poster. That's how Mm. hyped it was. Everyone has been 
So, so excited for this. And we were excited as well to go along and, and take in some of that like visual feast because it is so beautiful to watch a Wes Anderson movie, like all yeah. of those beautiful pastels that remind us of like India or, you know, other foreign countries from like the 70s and 80s, all of these yeah. like faded pastel visuals. It's so beautiful. The symmetry of the shots, the way that he uses the camera to move in different ways to tell parts of the story. And also like the really witty dialogue between the characters. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. Also, I feel like I should mention that we thought we were going along just to watch a movie. And so we had a long day of watching movies and we decided to wear trackies and hoodies. Mm. But we got there and it was actually uh, an awards ceremony. So that's maybe, right. You know, they did that... tell us to get off the red carpet. <laughs> they <laughs> so did. Funny. They were like, can you get out of the way? I have a photo of the exact moment <laughs> when someone came over to us and said, can you please get off the red carpet because people are <laughs> we'll actually post coming through. <laughs> we'll post it on the Dream so, Club podcast Instagram. So funny. Um, okay, so this is going to be a bit of a bombshell because I really do love Wes Anderson. I mean, who doesn't? They're yeah, cult we're classics, both big fans. Cult favourites for a reason, right? Um, I think the thing that I love about Wes Anderson movies so much is that the people who um, star in them are often quite like physically silly as well as having these really amazing things to say. And part of that silliness is like goofiness and being sort of a bit unaware of the physicality that you're bringing to it. You know, like it's not um, it's not something that is Im- immediately like obvious as you're watching something. Like it's something that builds over the course of the movie. We're like, that's so silly. That guy's moving his arm in that way. And then all of a sudden you'll sort of just giggle at it. And those moments I feel like were missing in this movie. And I hate to say it. What? I think that Timothy Chalamet was way too self-aware. I'm naked, Mrs. Cremens. I can see that. He was like Mm. bringing some of that physicality to it and some of the attitude that the people who have played characters in Wes Anderson movies before, but he was way too self-aware. It was like he was a fan in a Wes Anderson movie. I have to admit that I think that that... He's a Wes Fanderson. He's a Wes Fanderson. We're all Wes Fandersons here, but I think that what you're describing that Timothy Chalamet suffered from is something that perhaps the entire film did. So the entire film is so smart, perhaps too smart for its own good. And the reason that you watch Wes Anderson films over and over again is because it's so nuanced. The humour is so subtle in parts. The shots, you know, you have to watch them, the films three times over so that you can really soak up all of the little Easter eggs that are on, like what the crockery says, what the brand is on the person's uniform, all of that stuff. What tattoo says on their chest. Exactly. And I think the best thing about Wes Anderson films is when there is... All of that detail, all of that quirk, but at the same time there is something so inherently compelling and human and effortless about the performances. And charming. And charming, therefore. And you see that in films like The Royal Tenenbaums and Life Aquatic and Rushmore where it's equal parts quirky and compassionate. And this for me was like just detail and 
and therefore quite hollow. All style, no substance. Yes. Yes. So I think if you were Wes Anderson going into this. And I'm sorry, Wes. No, I really wanted to love yeah. it. I really, really did. And I'd love to see, I think the score on Rotten Tomato when I checked was like 78% or something mm, like that. So mm. it's still pretty high. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to see how that compares to like some of his other movies. Uh, when I left, I, I, I was thinking like, okay, so if you're Wes Anderson and you're, you've got all of this pressure on you now, you know who your main sort of cast are because he sort of cycles the same characters through the movies. It's always the same story. It's about family relationships or it's about love or whatever. And I was thinking, okay, so he did all of the things stylistically that you wanted him to do and levelled up. Like some of the shots were more complex. All of the styling was like really, really beautiful. All of the dialogue, even more complex and interesting Mm. than like dialogue that you've seen before. But there was just something really missing. And I think it was the charm and the way that the characters interact with each other. And I think sometimes that happens you know, because of the actors or the directing and, and it happens almost by accident or there's something on set uh, that happens between them that makes it more human. I, I feel like maybe as well it's because, and if you see the film, again, it is an incredible film to watch and maybe we do need just to watch it again and again, but the film is a collection of short stories that go into this a fictional magazine called The French Dispatch. So they're these stories that are not connected and they're stories that are brought to light by journalists and then you go into each of them. And maybe because so many of those characters were on screen for such a short amount of time, it was actually a lot harder to build up that sort of empathy and to look out for the way that they were acting and what they were thinking about it because you just kind of had people like Owen Wilson on screen for two minutes. How good is Frances McDormand, though? Uh, Frances McDormand She's so is good. so brilliant. You know, are, it, the cast is incredible, um, but it did leave me feeling quite exhausted yeah. um, in my eyes and not as heartful as I have felt after many other Wes Anderson films. Yeah, you feel moved by them. Do you know what I did feel moved by, though? The other film that we saw on the same day, hence the trackies and the hoodies. Oh, must we? Blue Bayou. It was so unbelievably beautiful. It tells the story of uh, an American man who was uh, born in Korea and then adopted by American parents who didn't... um, Actually, do you know what? I don't want to give too much of it away. Antonio LeBlanc. How you get a last name like that? Uh, I was adopted. I got this baby on the way. And I'm just looking for another job. It is an incredibly heart-wrenching story about identity, about how we perceive ourselves and how others perceive us, um, about like how harsh immigration laws are and how like no-nonsense courts can be and how cold and sterile all of that process is. Um, And it's set against the backdrop of this beautiful mixed-race family in New Orleans in America. And um, there's just the most beautiful little girl in it. She's so sweet and so charming. All of those shots were, like, really interesting. The colour grading was, like, beautiful. Oh, my God. So it was written by, directed by, and starring a man called Justin Chon, who was just so beautiful. I feel like I could stare at his face for four hours. And again... We said this last week when we were talking about um, Here Out West. It's so beautiful to see stories about people who are from, you know, immigrant families and, and from, you know, different communities to the ones that we're used to seeing on television and in movies. Absolutely. This was the film where for every kind of 
slight hollowness that I felt about Wes Anderson. This film, even though we saw it before the Wes Anderson film, when I left the Wes Anderson film, I was thinking about Blue Bayou. Mm. I was thinking about the Justin Sean character. I was thinking about the immigration and the people that are vulnerable to deportation and just thinking about how amazing, nuanced, rebellious he was as a character and just how refreshing it was to see this, oh, I don't it was it was a stunning film. And you know, Brooke, you had your head on my shoulder in parts because it was that kind of stressful. You well, want the characters to this succeed. Is the thing, right? This is so why moving. we watch movies, right? Is to make us feel things. And I feel like Blue Bayou did that to us in spades. It made us feel so happy. It made us feel incredibly sad. It made us feel really scared and frustrated and angry at the mm. the the main protagonist at points. And that, in contrast to the way that I felt when I walked out of the French Dispatch, is they're worlds apart. Hey, they're just they're hitting different stomachs. <laughs> and <laughs> and like cows, we have four stomachs, and we have four movies to talk about. We We're going to give you some recommendations. <laughs> You've got one that you have seen that I haven't that you reckon is mwah, top notch. Yeah, so this one is called The Power of the Dog and it stars Benedict Cumberbatch. It was filmed in New Zealand and let me tell you, I reckon the New Zealand um, Travel Authority, what do you call them? Tourism Board. Would be <laughs> travel Authority. Travel Authority. <laughs> I'm so used to speaking in like COVID terms that everything is like yeah. rules and like authorities. That's right. Bring, bring your street talk here. Bring your street. Yeah, settle, settle into it. Bring that cred. They're going to be so happy about this film because it's so beautiful. It sort of reminded me of Chloe Zhao, you know, with those big, huge, huge landscape yep. shots. The other person who stars in it and who plays like a pivotal role is Kissen Dunst, who, um, and we're going to be talking about her ex a little bit later on <laughs> um, and Taylor oh Swift's Oh my God, ex. we are. And it was sort of timely because obviously we haven't seen her in anything for like 10 to 15 years, anything sort of big. And she plays a woman who goes out to live on this station. I think it's sent, set in like 1867 Wyoming or something in the middle of nowhere and it's about a rancher and um, he's this man who's, you know, been educated at Yale and is really impressive, this great conversationalist, incredibly handsome, Benedict Cumberbatch. But he's also harbouring this really huge secret and um, it is that he's gay and he doesn't know how to exist in this world. And so you can imagine at that point in time someone who has those feelings, it would be an incredibly weird and... Um, it would be totally bizarre because they wouldn't even have the language in their lexicon to be able to express that or understand themselves. You know, like homosexual tendencies or behaviours back then would have been thought of as like completely evil and devil worshipping and, you know, succumbing to the most like carnal of urges. And I was thinking about it in the context of now because, you know, if people have been gay forever, which of course they have because, you know, you are who you are, we have only legalised gay marriage in the last 10 years. Internalised homophobia is going to take so long to unpack, so, so long. And um, anyway, this movie is beautiful. The scenery is beautiful. All of the dialogue is beautiful. And the whole way throughout the movie, if we're talking about, you know, the experience of going to the cinema and how it makes you feel, this is one to see on the big screen because there's all of this, like, tension throughout the whole film so when I interviewed Benedict Cumberbatch last week during the podcast, yeah, that's right. We Brooke stopped had to it like step away for five minutes. <laughs> um, I said to him, "It reminds me of going to the pub in Musselbrook, where you feel like someone's either going to have a pash 
or there's going to be a massive fight. You don't know which one it is because there's this weird tension in the air. And that's what this movie feels like the whole way through. It's really beautiful and quite an experience. All right. Well, Power of the Dog, it would have been rude, honestly, if one of us Wolfies didn't see it and recommend this well, film. You needed the, to check The Wolfie it, in Chief, like we need to check the standard of every dog movie mm-hmm. that gets released. And so, yes, we will be reviewing Clifford the Big Red Dog um, when it comes out very Clifford. soon. Clifford! Hey, I've got a final recommendation for you as well, and I'll keep it short, but it is kind of like the way that Blue Bayou left me incredibly moved and kind of on the brink of tears for a long while after, Drive My Car, a Japanese film which is an adaptation of a Haruki Murakami short story has come out. It was also uh, the winner of three awards at the Cannes Film Festival this year, including Best Screenplay. It's Oh, I don't want to give away again any kind of splot, splot, any splattering plot spoilers, but it is one of those inherently Murakami esque, really poetic, slow moving. I think the 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 opening credits to the film only come in at about forty minutes in after something really tragic happens. It's so beautiful. It's the um. How do I say it? It's about grief and family trauma and a widow, but it's also extremely erotic. And the characters and their skin and these close-ups and there's these love-making scenes versus these scenes with huge, rich, scenic countryside in Japan. It was one of those films that three hours went by and I... I was just sat in my seat, hadn't taken a sip of water, hadn't touched a thing, hadn't thought, you know, has anyone messaged me on my phone? You know, there was, I was totally immersed in this really poetic, gorgeous story. Drive my car, massive recommend. Well, I'm disappointed to hear that you weren't staying hydrated, but happy that the movie was so good. And Lindy, I think at the end of a couple of years where we've been able to only go to the cinema, you know, in brief splotches here and there, yeah. like what a way to celebrate freedom um, to go out and see some really beautiful things. Go and check them out. and Linda Mariano, The Dream Club. Let's talk about some hot music gossip and a big, big release that came out on Friday was Taylor Swift's Red Album, in parentheses, Taylor's version. If you've been following the Taylor Swift story, she has essentially over the last few years battled with her previous record label and executives and she's decided to re-record six albums of her back catalogue in order to regain the financial and legal control of them. So she wants to own her music. This is a fight for artist rights, Brookie. And it is a fight for artist rights and fair enough too because they ended up selling the rights to her music to her sworn enemy, Scooter <laughs> Braun, who's a music manager. He manages Justin Bieber. He used to manage the Kid Leroy. And um, he and Taylor have a beef of some description that's, you know, been playing out over years and years and years. Anyway, he owns the rights to all of those albums. So she's gone ahead and re-recorded them all. I listened to Red yesterday and um, 
look, I think it's like muchness for muchness, isn't it? Like it sort of sounds the same, but it sounds like a little bit more polished or a little like some of the production is a bit trendier. Like maybe they're using things um, that people were more likely to use now. So it's a bit easier to listen to than something from like 10 years ago. Yeah, a little bit cooler. A little bit cooler. A little bit cooler. You know what I say? Put it on. It's a bit cooler. It's a bit cool. It's a long record. It goes for about two hours. There's the 12 original tracks that were on the album the first time round, which came out back in 2012. She's released a bunch of unreleased tracks, songs that she wrote at the time but that didn't make it onto the record. So mm. there's some spicy things for the Taylor Swift fans. And there is the 10-minute version of All Too Well that this is the everybody thing. is talking so, about, Wolfie. She did a performance of it uh, at the weekend on Saturday Night Live. And, um, of course, fans, Swifties, far and wide, have been um, calling out Jake Gyllenhaal, who is rumoured to be the person that she's written about in this song. And Maggie Gyllenhaal has been dragged into it too. She has. Oh, Maggie. So you're going to have to listen to the song. I'm sorry if you're not a Taylor Swift fan, but basically it's a story about how they were falling in love, going upstate, doing all of this cool stuff together, but he dumped her, said she was a bit too young. Um, there's all of this tea. Brooke's a huge fan, as you <laughs> I'm, can hear. I'm like a massive fan of it. <laughs> this is the problem that I have with it, okay? Like... I, I don't mind that album, Red. I think if you're going to be like a Taylor Swift fan, like that's a good one to be a fan of. Um, like I'll listen to that. I listened to it yesterday. I was singing along in the car. I was having a great old time. But you can't go out with someone for three months and then 10 years later dig the boot in again and, and say like, oh, no, I'm just re-recording my album because it's my right to. That I think is probably... I think it's a bit problematic because as far as they're concerned, everything was sort of done and dusted. Swifty fans, they come in and they punish people swiftly. Oh. I went and had a look at Jake Gyllenhaal's Instagram yesterday when I um, got home from driving around listening to T-Swizzle. And there on his last post, there were 42,000 comments. I compared it to some of the ones before and they had 4,000. Even the ones before all had comments on them mm-hmm. saying... Uh, I hope you're ready for this. November's nearly here. Like counting down the, the days. Jake? Where's the scarf, Jake? Where's the scarf? Give her scarf back, back that you never gave. This is like, these are two adult people who entered into a consensual relationship. It didn't work out for whatever reason. People aren't at their best when they're going through breakups or when they're going through these sorts of things. And I actually think it's a bit unethical to go around promoing, and that's what going on Saturday Night Live and doing a live performance is. It's promoing an album and dragging up things from that long ago when you've both seemingly moved on. Like there are rumours that Taylor Swift's married now. It doesn't seem like the behaviour of someone who's over something and is dealing with a breakup in a healthy way. And look, if... Taylor Swift fans get a hold of this. I'm done. I know. So I'll say Brooke, goodbye I think now. you're about to be done. There's going to be 40,000 comments under your next Instagram post. Um, I, what do you think, though? Like, that seems I mean. mean. But but isn't that the right of the artist? Like, I, I totally understand. And, you know, Pete, this the relationship in question is, as Brooke said, it lasted for about three months um, she was 20 at the time. He was 29. I feel like we've all had that relationship with that guy that, you know, and, and there's lyrics in this song where you can hear her referencing the relationship and new lyrics where she talks about her father and what was going on between them. You who my dad with self 
this total dig, which is clearly at Jake Gyllenhaal as well, about the age of the girls that he dates now. It's pretty spicy. And I was never good at telling jokes, but the punchline goes, I'll get older, but your lovers stay my age. Let's I, sleeping wolfies lie, I say. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan, and I would you know, happily have not had a total 10-minute version of All Too Well. So you would have been life. able to survive with that. I could have been able to survive with the five-minute version. But it is within her right to write about anything that she wants. If she wants to write about something that she went through as a 10-year-old and throw some dude in, at school under the bus, like, she's allowed to do that. It is... The right of the artist to do that, I think that it's a combination of the fact that she's so hugely in the public eye. She has such an insane, she has such a loyal, massive audience. You know, this was an album that broke Spotify's record for the most streams in a day by a female artist um, on their album. And they are going to go and hunt down the person that that is about. Like that is just what fans do. And it's within his rights if Jack Gyllenhaal wanted to put out a record that totally slams Taylor and says that she was really annoying and, you know, that's why he didn't turn up to her 21st birthday party. I side with you in that I'm like, oh, man, it was 10 years ago. Come on, let's let's just kill this one. Let's focus on something else. But it is part of a bigger story where she's re-recording all of her stuff. And as much as I'm tired of the story and I'm kind of tired of the spice that's alongside it, it's within her right to do that you are allowed to do that if you're an artist. So then she's using this relationship and this trauma as currency to push forward the yeah. sale of her album, which is a re-record because she's traumatised. So well, she's like like going after someone else to make herself feel better about something that she felt bad about. Yeah, and you'll see this in the short film too where the two actors totally resemble her and Jake at the time. I don't particularly think it's cool, but she is allowed to do it. Like, yeah, like I get that she's allowed to, but like I just, it, it just sort of, it makes me feel a bit uneasy. I I mean, I agree with you. I think that it's not a cool thing to do. Because like, okay. But I think it's not going to stop happening. Like that's just what artists do. That's why there's like rappers with beefs, there's, you know, love songs that are about each other. These people date each other and artists have a medium that they are allowed to use. I remember interviewing James Blake once and he said that one of the struggles that he has as a songwriter is that all of his love stories and all of his heartbreak stories are completely one-sided because the women that he's writing about don't have a voice to write back. Mm. But that's just the way that it is. I guess you can just probably do it in a more tasteful and less um, banging people over the head way, like making a short film where you literally cast someone that looks like your ex that everybody knows who it is, you could probably be a little bit more nuanced and um, less straight up about what the references are, but that is just not what the Taylor Swift songwriting Mm. style is. And I just want to, like, make it abundantly clear that I'm not siding with boys here. That's not my vibe, you know. (laughs) I'm not like, hey, give them a break. They're just misunderstood. Like, I'm not saying that at all. 
I, I sort of felt for him. Yeah, me too. Me too. I went through all those Instagram but also, posts. Give back the goddamn scarf, Jake. It'll all be over. Just give it back. Dream Club. You should always have a charger next to your bed so that you can charge your phone overnight and start the day right. I've started not allowing my laptop into my bedroom so that at night I only read books before bedtime. Only order the groceries that you know you will eat. Don't waste food anymore. It's bad for the environment. When was the last time you did a really good neck roll? Is your neck hurting from looking down at your phone? Do a little neck roll now. Neck roll now. Let's dream. So it is our favourite time of the week when we get to have a little DM, unpack stuff. You know, tell us, tell each other, tell you, tell ourselves what we're dreaming of this week. <laughs> Mine's <laughs> so dumb. You're dreaming of this. No, mine is about being out in the world again. Because I know, like, we've been out of lockdown now in varying stages in different states and territories for like a couple of months. It's not a new phenomenon. But I'm sort of struggling now with like quarantining certain amounts of my time for myself because I've been booking in lots of social things and booking in lots of work things and booking in lots of other things. And I keep forgetting that the way that I like return to myself and the things that keep me grounded are like my routines. And I keep skimping on them and then wondering why I'm getting like more tired or like feel more exhausted or more frazzled or something. And it's because all of those things that we really relished in like beautiful routines and habits during lockdown, They're the things that are like, you know, while they can be a bit annoying, they they do really ground you. And so my advice to myself, I'm telling myself, telling you, yeah, telling everyone. We're going to hold you accountable. Um, No, not hold me accountable, but like I'm just going to go back to relying on the things that I know are my routines that are grounding and good. Uh, well, my dream club update, Little Wolfie, is... You know, it's our, it is our deep and meaningful little moment of aspiration. And you know what I'm going to learn how to do this week, which is something that I have been wanting to learn for a very long time. In fact, for years, a skill that I am going to have bestowed upon me by another member of my family. Is it going to be to learn how to wipe your own bum? No, I'm never going to learn. I refuse to learn. <laughs> Why? Why would you when you, you know... You Why? My mum's still alive. You know, come yeah. on. <laughs> so gross. I had to wipe my nephew's bum the other day. Yeah, it's they're so funny, aren't they? It was really funny. And I was like... They, so they just like lean forward. They just present, lean forward. They? I'm like, like no. God. All right, King, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what it's your I'm world? Learning. I'm just living in it. Seriously, I'm just serving you. Uh, what I'm learning how to do this week is I am learning how to trim my own fringe. What? I know. Are you? I've had a fringe for so long. My dad is a hairdresser, and what happens every three weeks or so is that my fringe gets a little bit long, and I have to clip it to the side, which is what I'm doing right now. Yeah, like clipped it to the side, which looks cute. You know, it's cute, but it means that I I can't really wear my fringe down because it starts to get in your eyes. If you've got a fringe, you know the 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 terror. If you're a fringe you're dweller, with. if you're a fringe dweller, <laughs> so I've got my dad to get me a little pair of my own petite hairdressing scissors. And this coming week, in fact, 
tomorrow I'm going to see him and he's going to teach me how to trim my own fringe so I don't have to constantly call him like every month and say, please, 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 will you trim my fringe? Can you please fit me in? Because he's so busy now too because everyone wants a salon appointment. So I'm like, please fit me in. And he was like, Lindy, I'm going to teach you how to trim your own fringe. That is so sweet. So this time next week, I'm going to know how to trim my fringe and I'm going to have my very own pair of hairdressing scissors that I will carry around in my bag for any emergencies. Do you know where I do like most of my own beauty maintenance stuff? And that is one of the routines that actually I was just referring to. Things mm. like plucking my own eyebrows, doing like all of that sort of face stuff. Yeah. Do my own nails. I do my own pedicures, all of it. See, this is what we're learning. I think it's good. I like it. It's meditative, isn't it? Is it is meditative. That's yeah, what I like about it. Yeah, you're right. It. Look well, at us. Look we're at us, just meditating. Just like self-sustaining, beautiful little wolfies. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you so much for listening. Um, we're going to be back next Wednesday, of course. Until then, join our Dream Club. Follow us at the Dream Club podcast on Instagram. We will post a picture of us getting kicked off the red carpet in our track pants at the Sydney Film Festival closing night. Tag your ride or die. <laughs> you get kicked off the red carpet with. <laughs> ride or die is such a funny phrase. Hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode and leave us a little cutie review. Tag us in a pic, show us where you're listening from and go and tell your friends. Also, one last thing, don't forget to vote for us in the Australian Podcast Awards. There is a People's Choice category. Head to the link in the show notes or over on our Instagram at the Dream Club Podcast, baby. Oh, see you, Wolfies. This is the end of the podcast. You've made it this far. And for that, I say congratulations. You're a hero. You deserve praise. You have cute feet. And I love you. Are you going to give people man- uh, pedicures? <laughs> yes, that's going to be everyone's Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> Dish it out. Thank you. Bum, bum, ba, bum, bum. Hi, I'm Taylor Swift. Take your pick. Wrap around the billabong. Sick. Enjoy, y'all. Listener Production.